You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to the 42 cast, your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. As always, I am your host, Nathan, and we have another great episode lined up for you where we're going to talk about cartoons of the 80s. Yeah, this is one of those really fun topics that I wanted to do, talking about the shows that I grew up with, so we're also going to do one on the cartoon of the 90s eventually, but I figured that the 80s is a good place to start since I was born in 1980. Uh, This is one of those backlog episodes um, that I'm trying to get cleaned out. Ben is going to work on this one while I toil away on some other episodes. So I'm not even going to try to say anything about what's going on in my life right now because this one is actually being worked on ahead of time so that we can have a bunch of episodes ready so that we can have a regular drop schedule on that. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show already in progress. Let's uh, meet our guests for this week. First off, uh, it's someone that's already been on the podcast, but masks have been unmasked, uh, identities have been revealed. He's still a fantastic entertainer, and that is my friend Dave West. So Dave, I just have one question for you. Was this about the Superhero Registration Act? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I I wanted to come out in support of the Superhero Registration Act. I think it's very important uh, that we have complete transparency in all of our podcasting activities. <laughs> all right. So how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. We just got back from uh, Universal in Orlando. Ah. Uh, feeling refreshed. Well, I'm not feeling refreshed. I'm exhausted, actually. That's a lie. Huh. I'm completely exhausted and tired. And uh, you're very lucky to have me here. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm feeling that. I'm feeling that. <laughs> um, no, it's awesome. We had a great time. We, uh, we'd we never done Harry Potter uh, before. Hmm. Like, we, we haven't been in 12 years. Okay. So there's a lot of new stuff, and it was a great time. And uh, lots and lots of walking for an old man who is rapidly approaching the age uh, that this podcast bears in its title. <laughs> Um, so I haven't been to Universal ever, actually. Um, so I saw, but I saw you posting uh, as you were going along there. Uh, what was the ET thing all about? Oh, okay. So yeah, I will share my ET story here because I, I've I've shared it a lot publicly, but I I don't know that it's really been recorded a whole lot. Okay. Uh, I saw ET in the theater when I was what was it was 1982, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I was six years old, and. No movie that I've seen in my life has scared me more than E.T. did then. Oh, okay. Uh, we, after we got out of the theater, my friend Preston uh, walked out into the lobby, immediately threw up. Uh, we were all terrified. And when we got back to my house, I wouldn't get out of the car until my dad went into the house to verify that there were no ETs hiding in the house. Oh, uh, and I'm, you know, I'm sure he just went into the kitchen and like sat down at the table and was like, uh, 
this is great. This is my kid. This is my life. <laughs> and then came back out. You know, I'm sure he didn't look anywhere. But, uh, you know, I said, are you sure? There are no ETs. You looked in all the closets because that's that's where he goes. <laughs> and he's like, no, there, there are no ETs in the house. Please get out of the car, idiot. <laughs> so uh, to, to this day, uh, I have not watched E.T. again. I don't like E.T. And it's not a, uh, you know, it's, it's fine. I can look at E.T., whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not really legitimately freaking me out. Uh, it's only gray aliens that do that. <laughs> but... I still like if if it were up to me, I would lead an ET free lifestyle. But my wife and son think this whole ET thing is hilarious, so they insisted that I go on the ET ride and face my fears. And uh, little did I know, once you get to ET's home planet, the Green World, things get even worse. <laughs> Wow. So uh, there you go. All right. Oh man, I I didn't realize you had such trauma uh, there. Yeah, I did. It was, it was horrible, man. Uh, years of therapy. <laughs> For me, the thing that terrified me when I was a little kid was uh, the Doctor Who episode, The Deadly Assassin. Oh, the master, yeah. the master, all shriveled up. Yeah. Oh God, I was so terrified of that. Yep. Nope. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Yeah, that one that one freaked me out for sure. Yeah. So uh, tell me, because uh, I, I imagined when you uh, came out and, and you know revealed your identity that, that I saw it as sort of like a comic book cover with a luchador mask and a dumpster and the silhouette of the person walking away and troublemaker no more. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I was actually, uh, it had occurred to me to uh, sort of set that up as a photo shoot. <laughs> Yeah. type thing but it would have been disingenuous because i still use the character for like wrestling events mm-hmm. and the game show and stuff so it wouldn't have, you know it, it, i would have felt like a big old phony if i'd done that okay. but uh yeah it, it definitely occurred to me <laughs> but yeah i just i stopped using the mask because i feel like there are going to be opportunities now that uh, i can pursue more easily as a human being with a human face mm-hmm. uh, than as a big purple and green goon right <laughs> well, it's cool, man. I'm 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 glad that you're uh, you know uh, that things are going well for you and everything, and uh, glad to have you on the show. It's good to be here, man. All right, and next up is uh, someone that is uh, a big fan of Black Panther. He loves weird uh, crossovers, and that is my buddy Lucas. How are you doing, Lucas? Doing good, man. How you doing, Nathan? I'm doing good. Been a couple of weeks since you were on. Anything uh, new and exciting going on for you? Uh, no, not really. Uh, possibly going to make a move as far as where a job, um, looking for something else. But other than that, that's about it. And just being happy that Black Panther made a uh, billion dollars and it's still going strong. That's oh, yeah. When I found out that it hadn't opened in China yet, I was like, oh, yeah, this is going to get past a billion dollars because that's a huge market. Yeah. You know, that, that yeah. they haven't even tapped yet. So, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's pretty cool. I mean, it it's, it's keeps making more and more money. Yeah, it's funny. I was listening to Dave's story about ET. The only, tra- there's only two traumatic things I have as far as cinematic, and that's Poltergeist two, mm. and um, the first RoboCop mm. with the uh, at the acid scene. Oh yeah, Emil, yeah, poor that, poor Emil. That, How old were that, you when that, you saw that? that? that yeah, that, that traumatized me for about a good six months. How old um, were you when you saw it? I would have been maybe eight, headed for nine mm. when I saw it. Because I saw it on Showtime. Mm-hmm. There was no way that my parents were going to allow me to go see RoboCop, even okay. though I begged them when I was a kid to see it, <laughs> not knowing fully well. They knew, but yeah. I didn't know at the time. 
um, what I was in store for. But overall, I love the story. I just don't like that scene. And I definitely don't like that he got ran over the way he did. Yeah. That was, uh, that, yeah. So I understand, Dave. I definitely understand. <laughs> we do have our movies. so The things that shape us, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The things that traumatize us. I should write a whole book about it. Yeah. But yeah, uh, but yeah uh, I can't wait to discuss, you know, all 80s cartoon goodness because we grew up in a very remarkable time, guys. Golden age. Yeah. Oh, my God. Kids cannot even fathom. I feel like an old man said, kids these days, they just don't know. Yeah. <laughs> they don't. They just don't know, Dave. <laughs> yeah, there is some bizarre stuff on TV. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't. I just can't. I can't, Nathan, sometimes yeah. with some of this. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about it in just a few minutes. Uh, but uh, first up, we're going to go to the five-minute controversy for this week. For anyone who hasn't been with us for a while, five-minute controversy is what replaced five questions because the five questions just kept on getting longer and longer, and we had more and more sort of digression. So I decided let's just ask one question every week and let everyone just kind of talk about it for a few minutes. And so uh, this week, um, what I wanted to talk about was that uh, the casting for uh, Cheetah, who's going to be the villain in Wonder Woman 2, was announced. Uh, I was seeing a lot of negativity, uh, personally, on my own Facebook feed. I've heard from other people that they've seen absolutely none. So um, I, I'm curious to know what other people think. Um, and so uh, what do you guys think of Kristen Wiig being cast as Cheetah? So, um, Lucas, why don't you start us off? Uh, I'm not a fan of the actress, mm. but I will tell you this: I'm a fan of Paige Jenkins. Mm. Uh, if anybody can make me uh, see Kristen Wiig in a different light, it's going to have to be Patty, uh, because she was able to get me to fall in love with Gal Gadot. Now she's beautiful, but Gal Gadot was never my first pick for Wonder Woman. That was Bridget Reagan, who wind up being Dottie on Agent Carter. Um, and that was because she was in the show Legend of the Seeker, which was a great show. Um, so every time I my said, well, that's the girl to do. And so when Gal got in, it took a while. But Gal worked on it, and then she literally became the Wonder Woman I was hoping for. So I got more than I expected. I'm expecting the same type of magic when it concerns this. Uh, because the last movie I saw with Kristen was Ghostbusters 2, and not only did it left me feeling um, hollow, it actually made me, like say, I wasted my time watching Stars that day, because I wasn't going to see it in the theaters. Mm -hmm. uh, my brother was saying, you know what, you got all these movies you don't want to see, let's just try and just watch them. Um, and so I went to see it, you know, and I got what I got. It was like, the only character I really cared about was Chris Hemsworth's character, really, you know. Mm -hmm. Everybody else was just playing too much stuff for laughs, and it was like cheap laughs. And she just, you know, helped to keep that going. So afterwards I said, and I saw her little skits on YouTube on Saturday Night Live, and I'm saying, yeah, this is not my kind of uh, one. So when I heard the news, I was, initially I had a knee-jerk reaction of, I don't want to deal with this. But... After thinking about it and talking with Patty Jenkins on Twitter, you know, Patty has, has a full understanding about what's really going on here. But just like what Ryan Coogler did with Michael B. Jordan in Creed and Black Panther, he actually made me care about Michael B. Jordan. Mm -hmm. Because other than Chronicle, I could care less about what Michael was in. I saw Fruitfield Station. It was okay. 
but Michael has not been able to actually show his chops too much. But with Ryan, Ryan is constantly causing him to give more. And so I think the same thing is going to happen with Patty. I think Patty is going to take Kristen there. So she actually gets into that role and she shows all of us that we were possibly wrong and we might be getting a gym. But I'm just, it's a wait and see scenario, Nathan. It really is. Uh, and Dave, what about you? Uh, I actually am a big fan of Kristen Wiig uh, because she, well, one, I find her to be very, very funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think she's got amazing timing. I think her presentation is very strong. Uh, and she has had a variety of roles. She's mostly known for her comedy, but if you look at things uh, like the Skeleton Twins, uh, her role in The Martian, like she she has played more straightforward roles and she's done some weird stuff. Uh, there's no doubt she she would not have been my first pick to play, I can't remember the character's name who becomes Cheetah. Um, she probably wouldn't have been my first pick, but uh, like Lucas said, I trust Patty Jenkins. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't believe for a second that she would have cast someone that was wrong for the role. So Kristen Wiig wouldn't have been my first pick, uh, but I, I think I, I think it's going to work. I think she's going to do a great job. I, I'm 100% confident she has it in her to do a great job. And I'm really interested to see her, uh, hopefully, because uh, one of my issues lately with our genre movies, uh, our comic book movies that we love so much, is what I feel is an oversaturation of comedy. Mm-hmm. And I agree. Yeah. I, I don't see... Uh, the sequel to Wonder Woman going in that direction. Mm-hmm. I, I hope I hope that it will maintain the tone of the first Wonder Woman with, you know, there there are comedic moments, but not filled with jokey jokes. Uh, and I'm really interested to see Kristen Wiig, you know, have some some real menace and some real uh, some real teeth. I, I, and I think she can do it. And I'm interested to see it. Yeah, whenever something like this happens, I fall back to the Michael Keaton cast as Batman. Yes, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Mr. Mom? You know? <laughs> he showed us all, didn't he? Right, yeah. exactly. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, just because someone is primarily a comedic actor or actress doesn't mean that they don't, you know, have the capability of playing a, a more dramatic role, and they just might not have had the opportunity yet to do it in a big, you know, movie. So, I mean, um, Robin Williams did it all the time, mm-hmm. you know, back in the day I yeah mean, yeah so absolutely it's possible guys so yeah like i said i'm just it's a wait and see and she definitely has the looks you know that she could actually transform i'll tell you one thing she's got to be better than holly berry as catwoman <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah yeah, oh, but, that's a low, low bar. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, I know, Dave, I had to go there, though. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, I mean, to Dave's point, I, I haven't, like, I think that superhero movies have gotten too silly myself. Um, you know, Thor Ragnarok being a, a pretty good example of that, where, it, you know, there were a lot of good jokes in there, but at the same time, I, I wanted a little more meat in that movie. Um, yeah, they were all... They were all good jokes, but there were just too many of them, and mm-hmm. too often what should have been drama was undercut by a one-liner or a mm-hmm. gag. Especially that last scene when um, that uh, rock uh, creature was saying about Asgard, like, yes. oh, yeah, I think we got the, you know, you know, it's got a good foundation. He said, oh, nope, nope. 
you know, and that's Taiki Waikiki, you know, that that's his level of, of comedy, but I see exactly your point because that was really the biggest gripe I had with the movie, and I saw it, and it's a great, I mean, Jack Kirby is somewhere smiling. Oh, it's gorgeous. Um, mm-hmm. it's gorgeous. Beautiful. The visuals He's are pretty great. much smiling because of Thor Ragnarok and Black Panther. Um, I think not even his wildest dreams could he have ever seen, something like that, realized, but the comedy, you're right, Dave. The comedy needs to be dialed down. That's another reason why I like Black Panther so much. It was yes. put in the right place, but it was situational comedies than anything else. It wasn't just, oh, I have to throw this in every five minutes. Well, yeah, you look at the movies that we love from our childhood, things like, you know, Star Wars movies or Willow, things like that, Indiana Jones movies. There are lots of really great jokes in those movies, but they're they're put in intervals so that you know you laugh when it happens but then you go back to them it's just a way of sort of like alleviating the tension you know that yeah. you're feeling and that's and that's where comedy is really great and, but yeah i mean if if you just have it wall to wall you lose a lot of the you know dramatic you know force that the movie has and so yeah i but yeah i i think patty jenk cuz i mean usually when that happens though to a franchise it's because the director switched and uh you know patty jenkins is still helming wonder woman too so i don't think that she's taking it in a comedic direction uh so yeah i i have confidence in her uh after that first wonder woman movie so um unless proven otherwise um i i'll just uh, say yeah she picked the right person for the role and and we'll see how she does yeah i just hope it does well because right now wonder woman is a shining light in a dimming <laughs> dceu um uh, landscape and um, don't get me wrong, I'm a fan of almost all the movies to a certain extent. Mm. Um, but, but it's their knockout success. Uh, they need yes, that's that's yeah. the one that just like we just had Black Panther and we saw what it did. Wonder Woman has been on the wait for so long, guys, mm-hmm. that when we finally got that movie, I didn't care for it being set so far in the past because Wonder Woman is a World War Two era um, hero. Mm-hmm. But for the context of the story, it works so well. Yeah, they sold me on that, too. And I, and I understand that they didn't want to draw too many links with Captain America because there are already several. And so it was like printing it in World War II would have made it yet another thing where it would get compared to Captain mm-hmm. America. So um, I, I kind of understand why they wanted to go that way. But, um, yeah, um, I'm, I'm very interested to see where it goes. And I suspect it'll be another hit for them because I think all the goodwill that that first one engendered all the people who saw the first one are going to go see the second one so they're going to make a lot of money well and also I think that Patty Jenkins is going to get to do whatever she wants because mm-hmm. Warner Brothers has to understand like this is our one golden goose mm-hmm. this is all we've got right. so we better just give her give her the, give her the moon mm-hmm yeah, I'm calling it now. Wonder Woman's at least a trilogy. Uh, even though they haven't said there's going to be a Wonder Woman 3, it's going to happen. So. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But, uh, all right, I think we have a consensus on this one. Um, but we're, we're looking forward to it, and we think that Patty Jenkins knows what she's doing, even if Kristen Wiig wouldn't have been our first choice. Um, so... All right, then uh, we're going to pause here for a promo for, an- for another fine podcast. 
live from Chicken Town. This is the Flopcast, a podcast obsessed with comic books, Saturday morning cartoons, conventions, music, stuff from the 70s and 80s that nobody else remembers, and chickens. It'll be the silliest half hour of your week. You can find us at flopcast.net and on the ESO network. I'm the mayor of Chicken Town, and I approve this message. So like we talked about at the top of the show, uh, this week we're going to talk about 80s cartoons. And um, 80s cartoons was kind of like a golden age we were just talking about uh, before the uh, podcast started. It's, uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff um, that came out of that time period. And we each picked a particular show that has meaning for us. And then we're going to talk about other shows that we liked in the in the 80s but uh so to start off lucas what are you going to talk to us about i'm going to talk about bionic six possibly one of my top five favorite animated cartoons of all time all right so this is an interesting one because i thought that i was like up on all the 80s cartoons until you mentioned bionic six i had never even heard of it now i've gone i've gone and watched a couple of episodes on youtube just so i know (laughs) what we're going to talk about here but uh but yeah so so explain to everybody what bionic six is okay here's the premise guys now, you guys are my friends, so you already know I'm into crossovers like crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, Bionic 6 is what happens if you set the future, about 20, 30 years in the future, of $6 million man and Bionic woman. Say that they can have kids, but they can't adopt kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they have somebody like Rudy Wells who runs things from behind, and they get to go on adventures. That's pretty much what Bionic 6 is. Mm-hmm. And it's got possibly some of the best animation now i know that you were talking about you saw on youtube and unfortunately there's not many good prints right yeah um, it was really bad um, to show exactly how gorgeous the artwork was both in the intro which that has to be possibly one of the best intros ever that song and the uh show itself but the premise of bio six is that you have a scientist his name and i'm using mostly i Wikipedia knowledge guy, so mm-hmm. bear with me. Uh, his name is Dr. Amadeus Sharp, and he is head of the Special Projects Lab, um, and he pretty much runs a group called Bionic Six, mm-hmm. and they're a family of bionic superheroes. Now, they quote-unquote act in secret and covert missions, but almost everybody knows who they are mm-hmm. uh, because they don't wear masks. Um, the father is Jack Bennett. His wife is Helen Bennett. And they have children. Um, they have Eric, Meg, and two other um, and two other adopted children, um, JD and Bungie. JD is African American, um, knows IQ, and Bungie is Japanese, um, known as Karate One. Um, so these guys they go on missions against. Uh, Pretty much, Amadeus' brother's name is Dr. Scarab, and he has this group, and they usually just go out and just deal with it. Now, I equate this with cops, because it's pretty much the same formula. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, 
like I said, I grew up watching it. I loved the theme song. It was a American Japanese co-production. It was it had a bunch of good directors and so forth. But these guys, um, they knocked it out of the park when concerned this. Um, so and, and of course, one of the best voice actors ever, Frank Welker, played three parts in this series. Um, he was um, pretty much a henchman working for Doctor Scarab. Mm. But I highly recommend it. If you can find yourself a good copy, I highly recommend getting it because they're going on out there. Just make sure that you are able to watch it on your DVDs because they might be coming from, say, international, and they might not be able to play on your DVDs. But yeah. they, they go about, about $16 to 20 yeah, I will say, I mean, I was able to find at least uh, a few episodes on YouTube. Um, it looked like they had a lot more. I just didn't have the time to go through it. But, uh, yeah, the, the video quality was definitely poor. But I was pretty impressed with it, what I saw. I mean, it was definitely on the better end of 80s cartoons. Because there are some shows that I've gone back and tried to watch. Like, I absolutely loved Mask as a kid. And absolutely. I went back and watched Mask, and I was kind of like, ooh, <laughs> this is a little... It's a little painful now, you know, uh, but uh, Bionic 6, I, I, I kind of enjoyed it, and I kind of like the idea that, you know, that it was a family, but it wasn't like, you know, just a normal family, you know, there was the adopted kids in there, and they, you know, made it a racially diverse cast and everything else, so I thought that that was kind of nice that they had that, you know, in there, um, you know, kind of unusual for the time, and I always love, I don't know why I love this, but I love shows where they, like, transform. And I don't know why that is, but, you know, they, like, you know, call, you know, whatever it is that they say, and then, like, you know, their outfit changes and everything, and their powers come on. So. They were pretty much Power Rangers before Power Rangers. Right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you think about it. Oh, and I also found the executive producer's name is Yukata Fujioka. Okay. Um, he was the one who did it at NBC ran the series, but it was all through syndication and ran for 65 episodes, but it ran really for one year in 1987. Mm -hmm. So from two days before my birthday, April 19th, because my birthday is April 21st, it ran, and the last day was November 12th, 1987. But yeah, it had a good run. Uh, it stretched its uh, syndication run until 1989. Mm -hmm. um, and down here in Atlanta, it ran on um, Channel 46 when that station was still running cartoons during the afternoon period, I think from three to five. Okay. So I used to watch that whenever I got home from school. And so it was it was good times. And I remember my little brother, Lance, he must have been my God, he must have been like one or two years old. And he was uh he he talked very soon. But I remember in 1989, 1990, they were still writing the show there, and he actually sang the song. And <laughs> I, never, I, remember, I remember coming into the room, and it was me and then the rest of my brothers and sister. Then my parents came by, and he was just literally just singing along with the theme song, and we just clapped afterwards. So when I think about this song, <laughs> I think about my little brother singing that song. Uh -huh. it's, it's, it's fun times. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're talking about 80s cartoons in general, and you know, that is that is a good point that it was a Japanese co-production because we had a lot of that 
in the 80s, mm-hmm. actually. I mean, I think that that helped prepare me for my love of anime, um, you know, going into the 90s when I learned what anime was, because we had actually watched a lot of cartoons that were produced in Japan oh my for God, an American from, audience. Like, Robotech to mm-hmm. Voltron, you know, Defenders of the Universe to... Well, um, even the, even Transformers was absolutely. produced in Japan, even though it was produced for an American audience. A lot of people still don't audience. know that. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people still don't know that. But yeah, it was a Hasbro, but yeah, they were taking all this um, stuff and they were just making it work back then and Mm -hmm. they could have and thankfully we had people like Carl Masick who was out there just going back and forth from um, Los Angeles to Japan, Tokyo to see what they had and he came back with gems. Yeah. So Dave, uh, did you watch Bionic 6? Uh, Bionic 6 is a funny thing for me because I had an awareness of the toys uh, more so than I did the cartoon. For me, I think I was more in on it because I was, uh, I think I'm a little older than you are, Lucas, and in 87 when it came on, I was 11. Mm. And I remember Bionic 6 being on uh, the USA Network. Mm. And it was one of those cartoons, kind of like Tiger Sharks and Spiral Zone, that came on at weird times that for some reason I just wasn't able to catch it. And then later on when it was on in the afternoons, I, for whatever reason, it just escaped me. But the toys I remember very well uh, because they had two of my favorite things. They had die-cast parts and translucent parts mm. uh, and were really, really cool toys. But I, I just had to look this up because you mentioned the quality of the animation. Uh, the company that did it was TMS. And if you guys want a pedigree, some of the other stuff they produced was Lupin the Third, um, Akira, mm. Little Nemo Adventures in Slumberland, and then later on they would go on to work uh, for some of our cartoons over here: Animaniacs, Batman the Animated Series, Ducktales, Spider-Man the Animated Series, and the Gummy Bears. Holy crap! Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so you you want to talk about quality animation? I mean, that mm-hmm. right there is just about a like top ten list mm-hmm. of some of the best animation of that decade. Oh my god! Uh, but I, I do remember watching you know catching an episode of the cartoon here and there. I love the family dynamic. Uh, to me, it was sort of a. a at the time, it seemed like a modern Fantastic Four because mm-hmm. rather than having the uh, the, the sort of because to me Fantastic Four, even though they came from science when I was a kid, I didn't really know the origin story. I just knew it was stretchy guy, fire guy, rock guy, and invisible girl, mm-hmm. and they almost seemed more magical to me. Whereas Bionic Six is much more grounded in science, even though technically both franchises are grounded in science but it seemed to me like the science fiction version uh, of the fantastic four i'd grown up with i love the family thing uh you know in hindsight i appreciate the multicultural aspect in that it was just there it Mm -hmm. it wasn't it wasn't hey Look at all of these different children from many backgrounds that we have. How impressive is this? It was just that's how it was. Yeah. And that's to me a much, you know, more effective way. It's it's funny. I feel like in the 80s we were exposed to those things and taught those things in a way that made them uh much more organic and and uh oh that's just how it is. Yeah, I was about to say the same thing, um, yeah. Dave, because uh, it was just, you know, there. I mean, it's there really the first episode, you know, Valley of the Shadows, which might as well be, you know, buying six versions of Wakanda, you know? Yes, yes. Because it was just it was just there from day one. And then, of course, we find out their origin in episodes 10, you know, and how they came to be. But it was just, and then, of course, we find out about Benji and his father, 
you know, the Japanese fog and everything. It was just an adventure. I mean, I would equate this with almost, it was definitely Fantastic Four, Dave, but it had a lot of elements of what we would later see in uh, X-Men. Yes. And it was just, I mean, especially the skill set. They were just, yeah. instead of it being mutant abilities, they were done through bionics, um, quote-unquote. I, I liked the um, variation, because when it was called Bionic 6, I expected, oh, just people with, like, robotic parts, so they're all going to be strong and whatnot. But there's, like, the girl who's super speed, and, you know, the, the dad like has like, yeah, yeah, energy guitar, blasts, yeah. and, you yeah. know, the mom has, like, mental powers. And so I was yeah, like, oh, this is kind of cool, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, uh, they figured out a way to to make to make it a team. They made it a mm -hmm. real team as opposed to just like, well, here I can switch my arm with your arm, and we can do all the same stuff. Uh, and, and I also appreciated, like you said, the quality of the animation was just outstanding for the time. And when I was super super young, uh, the stuff you guys were talking about before the anime that got brought over here and dubbed, like Battle of the Planets. Um, which I still don't know if it was Battle of the Planets or G-Force when I was watching it. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the one with the giant battleship in outer space that I Yamato. Space, Star space Blazers. Battleship Yamato. Yeah, yeah, Star Blazers. Star Blazers. Right. Star Blazers. Uh, those two were huge for me. And Bionic 6, uh, at the time that, that I did see it, kind of reminded me of that. I didn't know why back then. Uh, but it was kind of a comforting, like, oh, yeah, I've seen this kind of stuff, like this style of animation before, before I even knew what a style of animation was. <laughs> yeah. I even think they took that type of style and they applied it to, like, shows like uh, Galaxy Rangers. Um, it was just that, you know, it's almost like a comic book, you know, art form done in animation, you know, just very fine and just beautiful looking you know all the way around and you know you would expect that with just the introduction you know with the intros but mm -hmm. throughout the series you could see it you know especially when they transformed and they did their stuff uh, of course it was still you know stock footage but it was still fun to watch yeah. well it was much more kinetic type of thing like thundercats and voltron also had it where it was the action was like sort of hyper real it wasn't mm -hmm. just people running around and shooting at each other you had all the crazy lines in the background and the wacky emphasis on you know the weapons or the blasts or whatever was happening it was a, a very very kinetic style that was you know appealing to me at a young age certainly yeah and the voice acting was also great too i mean yes mm -hmm. other than frank welker um you had other uh, voice actors who were, um the guy who did um dr scarab he was actually emulating george c scott <laughs> ah, that's great. Yeah. yeah, I noticed the voice acting when I was watching it because I was like, yeah, this is this is a little more than you get from most cartoon shows, you know, where they were really, you know, kind of putting, you know, a lot of emotion and, and emphasis on things and whatnot. It was it was higher quality voice acting than, like I say, I <laughs> it's almost going to sound like I was uh, traumatized when I watched it, but when I watched Mask, I was really disappointed um, by even the voice acting and everything. So Bionic Six, like I say, was. Uh, was a pretty was a pretty good one um the other thing that i wanted to mention though is what dave was talking about with the um the messaging um i hate after school special type preachy television and so i agree in the 80s we seem to get a lot of cartoon shows that just put things out there 
You know, and they didn't say, like, look, kids, this is the thing that you've got to pay attention to and get out of this. Because, to me, that works a lot better if you just sort of have it out there and then, you know, let people draw their own conclusions. Because then they don't want to, you know, when you try to teach something to somebody or force them to think something, they resist it. You know? Absolutely. And I mean, so, yeah. He-Man and uh, He-Man and, and G.I. Joe, I guess, towards the end, were the only ones who were still doing that. Mm-hmm. Everybody else had pretty much moved on from the, oh, uh, remember, kids, you must cross the street, you know, in a certain way. Or <laughs> yeah, but that's different. I mean, that's a little different when it's a, it's a different segment at the end of the show. I'm talking about, you know, like if you watch shows nowadays, there's a lot of messaging within the oh, show absolutely. itself. And that yeah, is that's built into the narrative. Exactly. Mm. It, it's like they stop and all that momentum goes away, you know, when they say, oh, well, we're just going out to talk about this. And you're saying, OK, but you can continue to go. Right. You know, um, <laughs> yeah. the clock's ticking, you know. So, mm-hmm. yeah. All right. So anyone else or uh, Lucas, do you have anything more you want to say about Bionic 6? No, just uh, if you can find like, a good copy, and believe me, I am hunting for it because I intend to have it by the end of the year, um, this series, um, on DVD. I just hope that for some reason that it gets, you know, some kind of distribution, if not syndication, because what I really want is to see a me TV version as far as for 80s cartoons to happen. Yeah, um, yeah, the yeah. Market, the market's there. I mean, imagine that people could come home and instead of just having to go to Cartoon Network, which now is pretty much predominate with Adventure Time and Teen Titans Go and God knows what else, you know. <laughs> the new Jesus, Powerpuff I'm Girls. Even, I'm about to go into, you know, there, I'm not, I'm going to stop myself. But uh, <laughs> they need to actually have an 80s cartoon segment. I mean, I would love to see Turbo Team. I would love to see Adventures of Flash Gordon, G.I. Joe, Transformers, and all this stuff, even Visionary for crying out loud just give me that stuff as opposed to and I would love to show my nephews you know when they come over to my place oh yeah uh, we're going to show you DuckTales oh you mean the 2006 I said no the original DuckTales yeah the problem I um, think is that NBC Universal is historically very bad with children's properties uh, another show that I absolutely love it's from the 90s but called Exo Squad was oh, a yeah, universal yeah, yeah. property and, and yeah People people want that too, and it's like they just don't want to make money from it. I don't understand it, but whatever. you know, you used to be able to go to conventions and there'd be tables and tables of, uh, let's just say, air quotes, import DVD sets, right. uh, and, and you can't find that anymore, which is understandable. I mean, there's copyright stuff. Technically, that's illegal, but at the same time. If the companies that own the rights aren't doing anything with it, I don't feel too bad about mm-hmm. giving some bootlegger my money. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's the same way that I've come to with it. Is it's like if there's a legitimate release, I'll get that. If there yes. isn't, though, I have no problem with buying a bootleg DVD. Absolutely. And real, real quick, I've I've got to point this out. Interesting connection because Lucas, you you said Bionic Six is is like Six Million Dollar Man. You know, jump ahead and he's got a family. Uh, Alan Oppenheimer yes, voiced go, go Professor go. Yeah, yeah. Amadeus Sharp <laughs> and was the second actor to play Rudy Wells on The Six Million Dollar Man uh, and also was Skeletor. Correct. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so yes. pedigree again. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not that hard, guys. It's really not that hard. Yeah. But yeah, it's good. But no, I, I, as far as we're buying six, just check it out, guys. I hope that you love it like I love it. Um, and I just, I mean, I don't want to reboot. Just keep that stuff there. There's so much emphasis these days of, oh, let's reboot this and this. No, 
you are going to keep Bank 6 back in 1987. You're going to leave that property alone. I don't want it coming back, you know, because it had 65 good episodes, even though um, syndication in NBC, as far as we're bringing it over to certain channels like Channel 46 News, it made it where you could barely see all the 65 episodes because they were rerun some of the ones over and over. Um, I was lucky enough, thankfully, due to daily motion to be able to see most of those episodes that I missed when I was a kid. And I'm so happy I did. All right. Awesome. All right. So, Dave, what show are you going to talk to us about? Uh, G.I. Joe, a real American hero, uh, one of my favorite franchises of all time, and my favorite 80s cartoon, which is a, kind of a hard distinction to make because so much back then just ruled my life. But G.I. Joe, uh, Joe will always be it. And and for those that don't know, right, G.I. Joe a rock. Is, <laughs> yeah, right, right. G.I. Joe is a code name for America's daring, highly trained special mission force. Its purpose? To defend human freedom against Cobra, a ruthless terrorist organization determined to rule the world. And that's it. That's that's the whole premise right there. And then they just take uh, brilliant minds. Now, we're talking about the cartoon. Mm-hmm. So I cannot do my normal praise of Larry Hama because he had nothing to do with the cartoon. Uh, but I can certainly praise Sunbow Animation, who produced... Uh, the first iteration of G.I. Joe, a real American hero. And uh, the the voice actors, Michael Bell, Arthur Burghardt, Corey Burton, uh, you can go to Wikipedia like I just did and run down the line. Uh, but as a kid, this show is what made me do voices. Uh, when I played with my Destro figure, I was out loud doing the Destro Cobra Commander. This will never work. Like, as a little kid trying to do that voice and doing Cobra Commander's voice. And, like, this is the show that started me mocking voices and learning how to do different things with my voice uh, just because of this incredible, you know, as imagine little eight year old me trying to do Chris Lada's ridiculous Cobra Commander screeching. I mean, that's that's what was going on up in my playroom. But, you know, it's your basic premise. It's, you know, basically every episode is there's a MacGuffin and we got to get it or Cobra's going to get it first and rule the world. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, you know, the, I, I can't say there's anything. You know, they had the little message at the end, yeah. uh, like Lucas was talking about, the knowing is half the battle, that, I, you know, as a kid, I, I liked it. It was weird because, you know, a lot of the cartoons, it seemed a little preachy. But I, it's something about the presentation of the G.I. Joe PSAs, uh, as corny as I knew they were even back then, they were just fun enough or just in character enough. Because they, you know, they would have uh, Barbecue would be the guy telling kids not to play with fire. Deep Six would be the guy telling kids not to go swimming after they ate. Like, mm. it was all like, oh, well, this this guy is the paratrooper, so he, he knows to tell these kids not to jump out of planes. Like, it almost made you feel part of the show, too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, they're like, talking to us now. Yeah. Right, there's the possibility, if I'm doing something dumb, one of the Joes is going to show up and talk me out of it. Right. <laughs> uh, but Stay I just, away from I, down I, power lines, kids. Uh, yes. <laughs> Yeah. I, yes. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so I, I just I, I loved it. I was obsessed with it. And uh, and again, actually, like Bionic Six, I discovered the GI Joe toys before I discovered the cartoon because the toys technically hit first. Uh, 
but once the cartoon came on, man, that first uh, five episode because they they back in the eighties they would love to do these five part storylines to kick off cartoons. I think yes. all of the the Hasbro ones had you know Transformers, mm-hmm. Mask. Uh, well, Mask wasn't Hasbro, but uh, they they all had the five part yeah. story arc. So they could play it Monday through Friday, and then later on, when it went into syndications, they could play it as a feature on the weekends. Mm-hmm. I used to love that day. Oh, yeah. oh my yes. God. When I was a kid, my mom, when my dad was working, it was like Sundays. I, that's how I saw more than meets the eye for Transformers. Yes. They yes, ran absolutely. that thing all throughout. Well, of course, commercials, but it was one continuous block. And they still loved that as a kid. And then, of course, the Mass Effect. I was—I remember the premiere for that. Me <laughs> and two of my younger brothers, we literally were just like giddy. Said, okay, it's going to be a... Tr-. We literally, you know, my dad, God rest his soul, and thank God he was our dad. He knew how much we loved it so much. And it was almost like, well, get out of my hair, go watch it. Because, man, just the way it starts out with the Mass Effect... It just was just crisp animation the whole entire time. I mean, and, and we're going to always keep referring back to that. Um, but the animation literally brought you into that world, you know, the whole it's, thing. Uh, to my, it's in revisiting because I, I've owned several different versions of the entire uh, G.I. Joe series. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rhino's done it. Shout Factory's done it. I uh, used to have the old VHS tapes when... Uh, we live in magical times where you can actually go and buy certain shows, not all of them, as we just discussed with Bionic 6, but, um, you know, a lot of these shows, we're lucky enough that you can go online, and yeah, sometimes it costs a little bit of money, but you can just buy the whole run. Mm-hmm. Um, Shout Factory did a footlocker of the entire Real American Hero series from Sunbow. Uh, did not include the Deke series, which I'll talk about in a second. Uh but I've got the whole thing, and it's gorgeous. And the animation, uh, more so than a lot of shows from back then, it, to me, it holds up. Every once in a while, you get a goofy thing like uh, Duke's pants are animated in Caucasian flesh tone, which looks really <laughs> weird. But uh, you know, every once in a while, you get stuff like that. But for the most part, it's just gorgeous, fluid animation that looks great. Uh, not the same style as Bionic Six or Voltron, or you know, it doesn't have the. The, uh, it's not that anime style, but it's still a gorgeous kinetic style that's just really nice to look at. Uh, the characters are so distinct. Within the first two minutes of any episode, you know everything you need to know about every character that's going to be in that episode. Yeah. Uh, it's it's amazing to me that it's it's such a simple story. But it's done so well that there's a lot of storytelling today that's not aimed at kids that isn't done as competently as as this stuff was, you know, and done by people, you know, the 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 people that created this cartoon over time. I'm sure they grew to love it, but it's not like it is now, where more often than not, the people making the cartoon created it. They love it. This was work for hire. This was Hasbro said hey, we want you to make a 30-minute commercial for our toys. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll do that. And yet they still put all of this care and attention into the storytelling, into the look of the show. I mean, it really is impressive. Yeah, yeah, the whole you... history of G.I. Joe, it's just, it, it's mind-boggling. Um, I, 
I don't know, Dave, if you saw The Toys That Made Us. Yes, now, yes. Oh, my God, I love that, that series. I cannot wait for season two. Absolutely. But I, um, I, I, I've been getting really back into the 80s tune, specifically G.I. Joe and Transformers, and the history behind it. Now, the character designs, for instance, like for Duke, Duke was originally supposed to be Hawk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, they scrapped that and it made him a completely different character um, from the actual comics. Because Hawk in the comics style is pretty much a proto Duke. Well, they um, said Hawk. Hawk is uh, he's a general. He can't yeah, be out the field. Exactly. So <laughs> they actually gave him, or they actually promoted him, um, in, you know, from the comics to the actual cartoons. Because by the time we see him in the cartoons, you know, he's ready to lead D Joe's all yeah. the way. And um, so, and Russ Heath, the one who uh, did the um, Sergeant Rock comics, um, he was one of the character designers for it. So it was just, it was a good collaboration. And speaking of commercials, that's pretty much how Sunbow got um, G.I. Joe onto it because they were, um, at that time, they were promoting the Marvel comic. Yes. You know, using yes. Th- those commercials. Because at mm-hmm. that time, because of the laws at that time, they could not. You know, be promoting a toy line, uh, but thankfully, when Reagan came in, those rules were, you know, since rolled back, and so these guys were able to do what they had intended to. But when it started out, you started having commercials where it was almost like a two-minute, where they just showed all the characters come in and they say, uh, "Be be sure to catch this in Marvel's comics," you know, and so it was there. The whole history alone itself. They could actually make a movie about it. Just the origin of G.I. Joe, the cartoon. And it would yeah, be absolutely. worth watching. Absolutely. I, I would watch that in a second, which maybe isn't the best endorsement because I would watch anything about 80s G.I. Joe in a second. So, but uh, yeah, that would be great. I would love to see that. You know, something that 80s cartoons get a lot of flack from, and, and in fact it was even on when I put this topic up on the 42Cast page, a lot of people say that, oh, well, you know, 80s cartoons, they were just awful because they were just selling toys. That's I, I hate that. I hate that sentiment so much because it betrays a complete lack of understanding of 80s cartoons. Exactly. That right. was well because behind. What's wrong, with, what's wrong with creating great stories to go along with the toy line, exactly. you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And and that that goes back to my point that it's work for hire, but it's work for hire that these people really put their heart and soul into and created these amazing worlds that we as kids, yes, we wanted the toys, but I cared about these characters, too. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it went above and beyond go buy the toy. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't. I've never felt like, at least the the ones that I remember and the ones that I really cared about, there were always toy lines associated with them, but I never felt like it was just kind of like putting out there, like, hey, kids, buy this toy. Because the ones that we remember, the ones that we're talking about today, are the ones that were great storylines. And you're always going to get cartoons that are cartoons that are made on the cheap, that are kind of rushed out there. They had that in the sure. 70s, too, when they weren't allowed to, you know, do so much merchandising with the cartoon lines, you know, but you know the, the quality is what speaks for itself. It's not whether or not it has a toy line or not. Absolutely. Uh, that and well, and not only you know did was there this storytelling. Uh, it it made me want to tell my own stories. It inspired mm. me 
to want to create. Because I, when I went up to the playroom, I wasn't reenacting what I saw on TV. I was expanding on it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So they were planting the seed of creativity with that. Uh, it's, it's, uh, yeah. Like I said, I really. I really don't care for that sentiment because it's it's oversimplifying things and it's really it's yet another of those internet things where somebody sees something and they're like, "Oh yeah, that sounds good. I agree with that. It's just a commercial. I'm going to I'm going to ape that sentiment everywhere I go." It's it's a it's a very narrow elitist view, you know, by yes. people who don't figure out that that was magic, guys. I mean, they just they don't understand what we were uh, we got magic in a very limited time, you know, um, and people just don't, they don't get that, that we have a whole plural of just great animated cartoons that have really stood the test of time, most of them. I mean, if you were to stack them against what is coming out now, I would take those 80s cartoons and 90s cartoons in a second. It'd be like, you guys can keep the other stuff. Yeah, I I have to agree. And I think that the testament is the fact that I've shown 80s and 90s series to my kids who also enjoy them. So it's not Mm -hmm. something where it's just, you know, the thing you usually hear about stuff like that is, well, you grew up watching it, so that's why you liked it. Well, okay, but, you know, there there are kids that I have that are very discriminating. Like, they don't don't bother telling me, you know, they don't try to hide my... they don't try to not hurt my feelings if they don't like something, right? So they'll tell me if they think it sucks. And, you know, like I watched Transformers with my oldest, you know, and she and she liked it, you know. So it's, uh, the, you know, the quality, you know, I, I think it's timeless. It has a quality that, that you know, uh, uh, kids can watch at any point in time and adults too. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about with G.I. Joe, because my parents, actually, it was one of those weird things where, like, my parents had rules that were kind of, I felt, arbitrary. I could watch Transformers, but I wasn't allowed to watch G.I. Joe because it was violent. And, oh, interesting. <laughs> and because robots, you know, it was different if robots were fighting each other, apparently. <laughs> um, but uh, I, of course, I saw GI Joe over other kids' houses and whatnot. But the thing that I'll always remember—it was one of those five parters that you were talking about—was when Sergeant Slaughter was yes. uh, was added into the roster, and there was the whole hunt for the DNA. Uh, the, oh, the like rise the greatest warrior, yes, yes, and and I remember that they had to go all over the globe because they were collecting the DNA of like the greatest warriors of all time for different traits, and uh, you know, and then like the last one, it, like the DNA was corrupted, so they had to get the greatest warrior of modern times, which was Sergeant Slaughter, <laughs> and yeah, uh, yeah. it was great because they actually, you know, because that gave like a real world person for them to, you know hang you know their advertisements on so you had those sergeant slaughter commercials where he'd get out there and talk about you know the show talk about the toys and stuff like that and i always thought that was kind of fun well yeah that was tremendous because as a uh see it's funny uh gi joe one of the reasons it's my franchise uh is because it was so encouraged my dad was in the military he retired Mm -hmm. as lieutenant colonel so as a kid and you know, initially, GI Joe wasn't as fantastical as it would become. It was literally stuff from the real world. It was these, you know, the jets and the jeeps and the tanks and everything were based on real world items, and the Joes were were grunts. They were guys in camo and battle fatigues and stuff. And my dad loved it. Uh, he was way into it. So I, I was 
encouraged to be into G.I. Joe. Uh, however, I was not encouraged to be into professional wrestling. <laughs> My parents very much looked down on pro wrestling, so I would have to kind of watch it on the sly. And once Sergeant Slaughter was introduced into G.I. Joe, uh, I just I, I loved it. I absolutely mm. loved that crossover, and I actually got to meet him uh, years later, and picked out the he, he still at the time this would have been, gosh, late '90s, uh, but he still had GI Joe Sergeant Slaughter eight by tens to sign. Mm-hmm. So that was the one I picked out. Uh, I, I loved it. It was great. He said, and uh, he said, a Joe fan and a WWF fan, no push-ups for you. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what were you talking about with Sunbow and, and Deke? Like, did, did it did the show switch hands or something? It did. It did. Uh, the initial miniseries. Uh, well, there were. 230 episodes mm. of G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, uh, produced by Sunbow, as well as the G.I. Joe, the movie from 1987, which you can hear our commentary on the Needless Things podcast. We did a needless commentary uh, a last commentary. year. A great commentary. Check oh, thank out. you, sir. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Oh. Uh, with our pal Noel from uh, The Finest, which is a G.I. Joe cosplay charity group. Uh, but G.I. Joe, the movie produced by Sunbow, intended to be a theatrical release, but after Transformers, the movie flopped so bad. Well, Transformers and My Little Pony, the movie, uh, flopped. So G.I. Joe never made it to theaters. Uh, so those were all done by Sunbow. And then in 1989, two years after G.I. Joe the movie, Deke, who was another animation company, not as known for their quality, but definitely uh, Inspector Gadget is probably one of the bigger titles they were known for, Mm -hmm. or or bigger series they were known for. And it's funny because I remembered the Deke stuff as being terrible. Uh, When I was a kid, I, I was so put off by it, I barely even watched them. I fought... Turns out, uh, recently, well, I say recently, it's it's funny as you get older how large a span of time recently can end up encompassing. <laughs> yeah. Because now when I say recently, it can mean any time in the past, like, 15 years. Right. <laughs> uh, but the Deke G.I. Joe seasons were released on DVD uh, sometime in the last five years, probably. And because I am uh, as big a G.I. Joe nut as I am, even though I remembered not liking them, uh, I bought them because I had to have them. I I can't not have them. And the first uh, 20 or so episodes actually slot pretty nicely into a sort of post-G.I. Joe the movie world. Uh, They focus on some different characters. Uh, The voice acting is different, but uh, and the animation is not as good. But the stories are still pretty decent. Uh, They had some pretty good writers on there uh, for a while. And I got to say, you know, if if you've kind of skipped over the Deke stuff for years now because you got bad memories of it, if you go back and and watch, you might be surprised that some of the things end up feeling more like the end of the Sunbow series. Uh, But uh, Christy Marks uh, wrote a number of episodes, and, and you may know her. From things that I can't think of right now, but I know her name. I think she worked on uh, a bunch of stuff for Marvel. But, they, you know, it's worth looking at. It's worth giving another chance because Cobra Commander, we get Cobra Commander back, uh, which I never liked him being turned into a snake, but we won't we won't delve too far into G.I. Joe the movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
But uh, yeah, give Deke a chance. Yeah, it's it's interesting you talking about the at least the animation because I always equated that with the series that also Deke I think uh, produced was uh, King Arthur and the Knights of Justice. And yeah, it had I think you're a right. Sim- and it had a similar, you know, beat and definitely a certain style that was very similar. But uh, I, I've gotten um, I put like a nicer on view towards Deke because at least their heart was in the right place. Um, most of the Joes that we knew were pretty much put in the background, mm-hmm. you know, to put these new Joes who they some of them might as well be inspired by pro stars. <laughs> um, th- that was a cartoon from the 90s uh, starring Michael Jordan, mm-hmm. Bo Jackson, and um, Wayne Gretzky. Um, it had that kind of feel because I'm looking at some of the gear they're using, I'm saying, there's no way that our military <laughs> is using some of this stuff. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, so that you know, I, I like the stories, but when I was a kid, and and they transitioned from GI Joe, a real American hero, to GI Joe, an international you know hero. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was almost like what they did with uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, from Teenage Mutant uh, Ninja Turtle to Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. Um, you know, there was just something about the 90s where they just started kind of dallying down the coolness well, there, of what there made were, some of these characters good. Yeah, you're right. There were a lot of cartoons that had a, a, a switch up in that way where they almost seemed to get, uh, and, and this is not nostalgia talking because, you know, you when you look at a cartoon and you think, oh, well, it got too childish, you think, oh, well, no, you just got older. Mm-hmm. But if you go back and you look at G.I. Joe as it aged, if you look at the real Ghostbusters and when it turned into Slimer and the real Ghostbusters, um, and, and if you look at uh, if you look at that, they did kind of age them down at a certain point for some reason. Ninja Turtles uh, later on would get even cartoonier and goofier than it was to start. Uh, the animation style changed. So there, there was an odd thing that happened in the 90s where they they seemed to suddenly decide to, to aim a little lower age-wise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, the, what, the thing that bothers me, um, we were talking about, you know, G.I. Joe, Real American Hero, and, and, you know, how it's well-known as that, don't change the name and stuff like that, is that the movies, when they finally got to doing live-action movies, did not include the theme anywhere. Like, I get that you're not going to put it in the movie itself, but, like, the end credits or something, because when oh, I think of yeah. G.I. Joe, that music is so iconic. Oh yes, you yes, know? yes, yes, yes. I can break in the song right now, guys, especially right. the movie. But G.I. Joe, the movie, that's, oh my God, just the soundtrack alone. But you you see that whole Liberty Island oh, it's um, beautiful. scene. It is so gorgeous. You want that movie. Not the mm-hmm. movie that you get, in, in, um, <laughs> but the actual Liberty Island. You know, everything converging on Liberty Island. You want that movie because that's the scene, you know, that really got everybody in. But, uh, you know, it was just, it, I, I see that time as a missed opportunity time because, you know, people were just saying, well, we need to change things up. Uh, if something isn't broken, don't fix it. Yeah. Um, but you're right, Dave. They were scaling down because, I mean, I remember by that time, my youngest brothers, by the time we're growing up, and they had lost almost all interest in G.I. Joe and T.H. Mutant News. So they said, no, I've got to find something else, you know, because this is getting, you know, this is not what we, you know, grew up, you know. Even then yeah. they were saying, we kind of aged out of this. And these are like 
eight-year-old, nine-year-old kid saying, you know what, no, I'm good. Right. I, I wonder right. if there was some sort of uh, issue or something that came up politically. You know, I wouldn't have been aware of it at the time where people started saying, oh, well, you know, there's too much violence on television. Let's scale this back. You know, yeah, make it wouldn't it surprise me. I, yeah. I think so, because you think about, like, uh, Michelangelo and um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. First of all, they took out the ninja part because there was a big 80s ninja craze, mm -hmm. which... We all remember, I mean, you had everything from the Ninja movie to American Ninja with Michael Dudikoff. Uh, to Three Ninjas. Just, oh, yeah. my God. And then, of course, we got, like, <laughs> Surf Ninjas. And so it was like the parents say, oh, my God, are these ninjas just going to go away? So in a sense, they kind of made them go away for a while, mm -hmm. but didn't last. Yeah. Uh, and then they gave Michelangelo, what did they give him? Like, they didn't give him nunchucks at the time. They gave him something else, you know, uh, that really wasn't it. And I think that was literally the last straw for one of my youngest brothers. She says, nope, I'm good. Yeah. When you saw that, you just, yeah. Um, so, Dave, did you have anything more that you wanted to say about G.I. Joe? Uh, I'll always love it. Uh, I do think it holds up. You have to go into it, obviously, not expecting Shakespearean mm -hmm. uh, storytelling or anything. But it, it's an awesome cartoon. It, it's just that 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 is the one word I would probably use is awesome. There's a lot of action. Uh, there's a lot of great character work. There's a lot of great humor, uh, much more skillfully done than some of the stuff we get now. Mm -hmm. I, I, I just absolutely love that show. And I think there are other 80s cartoons that are as good, but there are none that are better. Hmm. I completely agree. I think that's a great segue, though, to talk about Transformers, which in many ways is a sister to. show to G.I. Joe. <laughs> well, not just a sister show, but, but potentially the same world. Right, yes, Transformers. because there is an episode of Transformers where we get the crossover. Uh, and yes. We actually see an old Cobra commander uh, who, at the end of the episode, tries to do the Cobra, but he starts yeah. coughing and hacking at the end, <laughs> and they play a little bit of the G.I. Joe theme under it and everything. And yes, I love that. That was such a nice... Uh, old, old snake, isn't that? Uh, yes, old snake. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love Great. love that. Yeah. But yeah, so Transformers was another Sunbow uh, slash Marvel production, um, and uh, it, it, again, a lot of this. I mean, I'm gonna sound like an echo chamber for Dave talking about GI Joe, but um, the voice work was uh, really great on Transformers. You had all these really distinct characters. And the thing that blew my mind going back to the show as an adult was that so many of the characters were done by the same voice actor yes. just doing a different voice, which as a kid, I, you know, Ironhide, he's, he's a different guy than Optimus Prime. You know, what are you talking about? You know? And finding out, like, oh, they're actually the same voice actor just doing a different voice. And, you know, the talent on display... It was was really good. Um, I I like the music. Um, you know, uh, it, it was kind of funny watching a couple of GI Joes before doing this podcast. But it was you know again like another thing where I was like, wow, this sounds a lot like Transformers music. And and again, it was a lot of that same um, you know actiony you know kind of music that, that they played that there. Jazzy action music. Yes. Yes, and, um, you know, uh, so many distinct characters. And again, yeah, they were trying to sell toys, but 
you know, just like you were talking about G.I. Joe, you know, you go into an episode and they tell you everything you need to know. You're introduced to whatever new characters or whatever, you know, and, you know, they, they all had their own personalities. And, you know, like what I was talking about with uh, and like you, when I think recently, it's like, oh, yeah, this just happened. But really thinking about it now, it was like five years ago. But uh, showing my daughter Transformers, you know, and she developed favorites, you know, pretty quickly. It's, you know, she liked um, Sunstreak, you know. And, yeah. you know, it's just one of those things where it's just like you just gravitate towards certain ones or not, either because of their look or their personality or whatever. And um, the thing that I really appreciate about Transformers that I don't think I understood on a conscious level as a little kid, but that comes to me so much watching it as an adult, is the con- the effort that they put into really moving the series forward after the movie and developing it as storyline wise where I'm used to cartoons that it's like it's a pretty much a static situation right you know it might last 65 episodes or whatever but it's pretty much the same thing every episode you know certain episodes are better or worse or whatever but you know after the movie they did the huge time jump well the movie itself had a time jump but they had the time jump you know you get a whole bunch of new characters but it looked back on what had gone before and they were trying to develop the mythology also of what are the transformers where did they come from what happened before this war with the autobots and the decepticons and you look at some of the people that were writing for it you get people like jerry conway you know, yes. as oh uh, my god, he's outstanding, right? Exactly. And you've got people like Diane Duane, who you know would go on to become a famous novelist. I don't know if she was at that point, but you know, so it's just I feel like the level of storytelling was you know just at a at a different level than a lot of shows that we do had. Do you think? Point. Do you think that that's because the mythology of the franchise was coming from Japan? I think that that might be it. Yeah. Because I've so. even watched the Japanese seasons that came right, you know, because G- Gen One Transformers continued in Japan. Right, they had what Headmasters, yes. uh, uh, um, Godmaster Force, and then Victory. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and and so all of that was coming because I think technically the American writers were kind of adapting the Japanese stories a bit. Is that correct? That's right. Just, just yeah. like what Carl Masick did with uh, Robotech taking right, right, uh, right. Matt Cross and stuff. Yeah, it's the same. So they had, they had sort of a foundation for the world and for the, the stories. Mm-hmm. It was just a matter of adapting it for a Western audience. So I think there was already a richer mythology for them to be working from than most other cartoons at the time. Yeah. Or most other Western cartoons. Right. No, I, I'd agree with that. And again, I, I, you know, I got heavy into anime in the 90s, and I think this was laying the seeds for that sure. for me. Sure. Um, yeah. I also really love the animation style. Um, there are the mistakes, like you were talking about with, you know, random G.I. <laughs> Joe episodes where you where, see something. Where did Starscream's leg go? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> no, 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 Dave. Where did Optimus Prime's um, trailer go? Oh, well, yeah. well, yeah, that, just, we all ask that. Yeah, it just I mean, disappears. It's just like, bye-bye, gone, gone, gone. Well, and the thing go is, back. he can, like, go into space and transform, and somehow the trailer teleports yeah. to where well, he I is. I so much, guys. I actually saw Godmaster, I think, like, about two years ago. And that's mm-hmm. the wonder of having YouTube and Daily Motion is the fact that I was able to see Godmaster. And um, 
they actually made it part of him. You know, he got to mm -hmm. um, build up using that trailer, you know, to that point. And so for me, I'm saying, this is what you guys could have done. I mean, that trailer didn't have to fall away. You, yeah, know? Right. you could use that. And things this I've been watching, and it's kind of controversial, but the, um, the, Mashima uh, series uh, that they now have, which is, you know, some people love it, some people don't. But, I mean, when I saw how he was able to combine himself, almost literally like a combiner, I'm saying, wouldn't that be interesting if Prime was a, um, was a Titan Prime, you know? Hmm. You know, just using the trailer alone just to make himself bigger, you know? That would just be mind-boggling. And the fact that nobody's even thought about that to this day has boggled my mind. Yeah, I, I'm going to say this, and it doesn't really count because I didn't see it in the 80s, but when I start watching Headmasters and you have all the different combiner sets like fighting each other in a massive brawl, I was like, this is what I wanted my entire life. Like, oh you know, as a kid, because, you know, when you're watching Transformers, it's like, first there's Devastator. And, like, Devastator, yeah. when he first appears, is like, this is the most terrifying thing in the whole yes. world. Because, and, and I like that it actually continued on for a few, you know, episodes afterwards. Of every time everybody saw Devastator, it was like, holy crap, we gotta get out of here right now, because he's, like, undefeatable. And then everybody started getting a combined, you know, the Autobots got their combiners, you know, Decepticons got a bunch more and everything. But you would only ever see, like, one set of Autobot ones and one set of Decepticons. Decepticon ones in any given episode. And, you know, the Japanese are like, you know, screw it, we love giant robots, you know? <laughs> so it's like there's an episode where there's a battle on Cybertron that has a lot of the Transformers in it, but they definitely made sure to do the big brawl of all the combiner sets, and I was like, oh man, this is this is everything I wanted out of life. <laughs> 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 but, um... Yeah, uh, the other thing, though, I mean, like, talking with what, you know, you were talking about with toys and stuff, like, the toys were great. The articulation and everything in them, the, the amount that they would move, you compare that to GoBots, which is the similar you know, uh, cartoon. And sure. the GoBot toys were, were atrocious. I mean, like, the arms might just fold one direction. You know, the legs might push up, the head might push down. Well, Psykill, like, literally just got on his hands and knees. Oh, he's a motorcycle right. now. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, you know, they're, they're, you know, they weren't very interesting as a toy line. And watching the cartoon, I paid attention to that and compared them to the toys. And the animators were actually, you know, following the, the yeah. way that you would transform the toy, you know, yeah, and the way that they moved. It's 80s animators could nail that and Michael Bay couldn't. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of a Michael, Michael French and uh, Russia Blasting, um, they came over to DragonCon a few years back, and they talked about, you know, the GoBots and so forth. And so I'll, every time I get the chance to catch stuff like that, I always love it, you know, mm -hmm. because GoBots was there primarily to compete against Transformers, but Transformers had a larger story. Well, GoBots actually came first. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, but um, yeah, so so yeah, I mean, it, it, Transformers, uh, and and it was something that just for whatever reason, my brothers and I, that's the that's the toy line we spent our money on, you know, and so I, I still have, because I'm the youngest in the family, so uh, my brothers all left everything at the house when they left, so... Oh, I, nice. I, I still have 80, I think 83 Transformers. 
<laughs> no, they've all been played with. They're not in original packaging or anything. That's the but, best kind. Yes, exactly. Yeah. My kids have played with them, and you know, I mean, we had a problem where you know, my daughter, when she, I gave her a transformer when she was a little too young, and she broke an arm off. But uh, you know, for the most part, the kids have played with them and they've enjoyed them. So yeah, and, and like you were talking about, Dave, it was a way of becoming a storyteller. Mm-hmm. as a child because yeah you would take those toys and whatever toys you had you'd create your own storyline based around well I have these characters to play with you know what what could I do with that and fan fiction before fan fiction right exactly and so yeah I mean think I mean I never thought about it in those terms but yeah I, I it's a way that we developed our storytelling capabilities you know as children do you guys have uh, any memories from watching Transformers well, I loved uh, War Dawn, and I loved the search for Alpha Trion. Mm. Uh, anything dealing with Optimus Prime, because he was my Transformer. Um, he still is. Um, and Pierre Cullen, as far as with his character, he I always loved his stories that he likes to tell about his brother Larry, because that's who, pretty much who he based the character on, mm-hmm. um, who was a Marine captain during Vietnam. And, he, you know, his brother just gave him encouragement. But that's who he embodied when he did Optimus Prime. And so it was just, that was the leader that you wanted to be. Every time, you know, uh, you know I, I get up, you know, adjust my posture, whatever, it's Optimus Prime that, you know, when I'm walking into a room. You know. Yeah, Gary Mitchell, who was supposed to be on the podcast today but had to drop out, he, he refers to Optimus Prime as Space Dad. You know? <laughs> and that's a lot of it, you know. I mean, he he had that John Wayne like, you know, uh, sort of aesthetic to him, where he would come in and he was always sort of the bastion of of the morality, right? Just like the Western gunslinger coming in, and he knew what was right and what was wrong, and you know, it was he was he you know you followed him because of that. Uh, what about you, Dave? Do you have any uh, memories of Transformers? Uh, it, I mean, it was pretty much a, a brother show to GI Joe. Now, granted, Transformers came first. Uh, but it, to me, they were they were kind of one and the same. Like Transformers was about robots, GI Joe was about army guys, but they were sort of equivalent in my head. GI Joe got more love because, like I said, my my dad happily endorsed GI Joe, mm-hmm. um, and I it was Transformers were a little pricier, and I could get a couple of GI Joes for the same price as one. Transformer, mm-hmm. so I, I tended towards those, and also just the three and three quarter inch action figure scale has always kind of been my jam. As a matter of fact, I was always very frustrated as a kid that I couldn't have Transformers that interacted with the GI Joes. <laughs> uh, but I, I loved the cartoon; I absolutely loved it. Uh, the the voice actors that we all know, Frank Welker, Chris Latta, uh, you know, moving from Cobra Commander to being Starscream, mm-hmm. uh, and, and of course Peter Cullen, who has the greatest inspirational voice of any voice actor ever yeah. uh, so much so that they you know brought him up to do the movies you know whatever you might say about the Transformers live action movies uh, the fact that they got Peter Cullen to come back as Optimus Prime is fantastic yeah. I mean he's, he, he, he's, he's still a giant I mean whenever you hear his voice when he's narrating the intro to Voltron you're ready to go yeah Yep, that, so, that was another thing that I realized recently watching Voltron as an adult is it's Optimus Prime doing the voice of Voltron. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, and I'm totally wrong. G.I. Joe came first because 1983 is when the first miniseries came on. Mm. I don't know where I got my 1985 from. Mm. Uh, 
but yeah, I, I, Transformers was great. That that stuff with the, anything with Cybertron, mm-hmm. I flipped yeah. out over. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I really really loved anytime they did the uh, whatever that device was, the portal. Mm-hmm. Uh, where where they were trying to build the device to get back to Cybertron. Um, yeah, I forget what it's called. The space bridge. Yeah, I think. This, yeah, space bridge or sky bridge or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, but I, I loved that stuff. I loved seeing. You know, they they honestly, I get the. You know, it has to take place on Earth. That's the whole thing. Robots in disguise. Mm-hmm. But it really excited me seeing the crazy designs of the Cybertronian vehicles and like when the uh, okay, you guys are going to have to help me. The oh the seekers. Yes. Right, that's what the jets are called: Starscream and Skywarp mm-hmm. and uh, Thundercracker. Yeah. Yep. So, and when we go to Cybertron and we see the Seekers as these really cool-looking, like triangular yes. spacecraft, yes. like that's awesome. And Optimus is uh, oh, I just I love the Cybertron stuff so much. Well, yeah, I mean that was one of the great things about it is they put the thought into it that yeah, on their own planet they would look different, yes. and it was actually the yeah. computer on their ship. Yeah. That when it crashes, it goes out and observes the Earth, and it reformats them basically to to match you know the vehicles that it sees on Earth, and so that was that was a really nice touch on that. Yeah, uh, I love that. You know, you were you go back to Cybertron and you don't see like Volvos driving around. Right. Uh, the, the other thing that I really liked again about season three, and I really feel like season three was trying to push things. We talked about how you know shows in the '90s you know started going younger, but thankfully, I, I guess in a way, it's good that Transformers didn't go into the '90s because I feel like with that third season, they were trying to push things a little more adult because you have yes. storylines like the whole idea of of, uh, of Rodimus Prime feeling like he isn't you know worthy of being the successor to Optimus Prime you've got a, a character arc basically mm-hmm. going for the character um, you've got the whole idea of Galvatron being insane you know that it's just been too much for him and the Decepticons trying to figure out how do they handle this guy because you know Megatron was a horrible tyrant but at least he had all his marbles and Galvatron right. just does stuff that's just you know crazy and uh, I, I really love that I mean in a way I'm almost disappointed when they ended the third season with the return of Optimus Prime because it felt like it was a step back um, but still it was a very dark story I mean it's basically 28 days later but with Transformers where they They've got the, the plague going through. I mean, it is. It's this plague yeah. that like makes yeah, everybody yeah. into rabid, you know, whether they're Transformers or humans. Yeah. Right, yeah. They, they, the, they, the they hate turn, plague. Yeah, the, the hate plague. The virus. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. it's, you know, and, and as a kid, you're watching this. You're like, oh, my God. You know, like, everybody's yeah. succumbing to this thing, and there's no way to stop it. And, you know, at the end, it's, you know, the opening the Matrix, and they play You've Got the Touch, you know. And it's just, and again, you get the goosebumps, you know, because it's, it's targeting back to the movie. Um, yeah, that, that was all um, um, Nathan, because of the letter writing. I mean, mm. you got to think about it. When Kent's with the C, and I know Dave possibly is well aware of this, is that kids did not go to see Transformers the movie to see Optimus Prime die the way he died. <laughs> oh, no, it destroyed me. Well, it, and here's really... the thing. My parents wouldn't take us to the movies yeah, because they said it was too much money. So I found out about it by watching season three, and it was already done. And let oh, me tell you, no. I would have rather had it in the movie than just that's like how... having be like, what? <laughs> yeah. that, that, that's, how, that's actually how I saw the movie because my parents at that time, they were working a lot of hours. Uh-huh. So we never actually got a chance to see it in the theaters. But I saw it when it came out and thankfully we had channel 46 
And Channel 46 or Channel 36 was always running the G.I. Joe or Transformers in syndication. And before they started season three, I remember when season three aired, they actually um, earlier had ran the movie. Um, of course, it was a TV edited version, but there it was. And me and my brother saw that. And we looked at each other and said, they just killed Optimus Prime. What's going to happen next? And so for me, I was happy to see Optimus, but in hindsight, I think he should stay dead. Because, yeah, I mean, as a kid, I loved it. But yeah, watching yeah. it as an adult, I'm like, you know, from a storytelling standpoint, if there had been a, a true fourth, there was kind of a fourth season, but not really. If there had been a true fourth season, then having Optimus back kind of ruins what they were doing with the third season. Um, and it's funny because the, the Japanese fourth season gets rid of Optimus in like three episodes. <laughs> So I think the Japanese writers realized that, you know, this wasn't really, like, a great idea. So they kill him off again um, and get rid of the Matrix, too, So because that MacGuffin, you know, got played a little too, you know, a few too many times. So, um, yeah. My biggest disappointment, or actually not my biggest, uh, a disappointment that I had as a kid with season three was when they come back, none of the voice actors from the movie obviously are going to go do this mm. TV show. No. So even then, these voices, you know, it's it's not Judd Nelson, it's not Leonard Nimoy, it's not uh, uh, <laughs> Orson Robert... Welles isn't going to do a TV well, show, really. Well, Orson Welles was out of the picture. You, well, yeah. well, no, Unicron comes back. Oh, uh, does he? I don't yeah, remember that. He, he, there, there's a there's a two parter. Oh, wow. I want to say, yeah. yeah. But uh, it bothered me that these, you know, that the main characters, uh, all their voices changed. I under, obviously mm. now I understand why. Yeah, Frank did the best that he could. Yeah. yeah, Frank did the best he could to be Galvatron, but you could tell it wasn't Larry Nimoy. So yeah. 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 yeah, but uh, I, the Return of Optimus Prime, uh, I, I loved it, and I honestly can't remember. Like, I love that he came back, but I don't remember anything after that uh, mm -hmm. at all. Yeah, there was just the, the 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 very short fourth season, which was only three episodes, exactly. and it was originally supposed to be a five parter. But on the DVDs, David Weiss, who wrote the uh, who wrote the episodes, basically said they they came to him and were like, uh, "We have no more money. You've got to put the entire new toy line in three episodes." Oh my god! And he was like, "Yeah, it was just impossible." So this is the one case where I'd say the people talking about selling toys are right because if you watch that three, it's called Rebirth. It's a three parter. If you watch it, it it's, it's just bad, you know. I mean, it's they try to shoehorn in too many characters too quickly. Um, in some cases, really just putting a cameo in there to say the toy was in the show. Oh, um, wow! And, and yeah, that was a problem. But I, I never felt that with any of the rest of the series. I felt like again, it was people enjoying it. Um, you know, it was people making the show because they liked it. Um, yeah. and, and that comes yeah. through with the writing. So and the and the performances. So. Uh, yeah, I will always remember Transformers fondly. All right, so uh, I think we've we've covered these three shows here. I thought that we'd have time to uh, talk about other shows, but uh, our love of these properties came through pretty strong. I think because uh, we're we're almost at ninety minutes already. And now we'll have a future episode. That's yeah. right. For, for the everything else. Right, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you want to, shout out about one show on the outro, but uh, let's say goodbye and let people know where they can find us. So, um, Lucas, why don't you uh, start us off? Yes, you can find me on Facebook 
Twitter and Instagram. You can, I also have a website called Luke Speculations, which deals with crossovers. You can find that at WordPress.com. Um, it's been a pleasure, gentlemen, to be on this show. All right. It's good to have you on, Lucas. Thank you. And Dave, why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you? Uh, I'm Dave West. You can find me at NeedlessThingsPodcast.com. Every single Friday, the Needless Things Podcast drops, where we talk about toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery. Additionally, there are toy reviews and other articles throughout the week. You can find me as Phantom Turbomaker on Instagram, which is my current favorite social media, and also as Dave West on Facebook. And also, please do join the Needless Things Podcast Facebook Facebook group. And I'd like to give a shout out to Inhumanoids. Woo! Yes, Inhumanoids was one I definitely Ooh. would have talked about if we had had Ooh. the time. <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, it's good to have you back, Dave, and, and hopefully we can have you on some uh, other episodes coming up soon, too. Yeah, I'd love to, man. And that's a wrap for Cartoons of the 80s. I would like to know how you enjoyed this episode. Do you want more topics like this? Do you want us to go back to just doing like movies and TV shows? Uh, how did you like our guests for this week? You know, give me all that feedback. And you can do that by emailing me at everything at 42cast.com. You can go to the website at 42cast.com. You can go to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash 42cast. Or you can tweet to us at at 42cast. And of course, you can always leave us reviews on Stitcher Radio or iTunes. Also, I'm going to put in my plug for the ESO Patreon. That's patreon.com slash ESO Network. That's a way for you to contribute and help support all the shows on the network to keep us going on the internet and with our podcasting. So give that a, you know, give that a thought. And uh, if it's something that you want to participate in, then go ahead and do that. You do get access to some exclusive episodes by doing that. Uh, so you might want to check it out. The other thing that I want to mention is that by the time this episode comes out, I should have started my new podcast, which is called Time Streams. It will run in parallel with the 42 cast. I know you're probably thinking, Nathan, if you're having a hard time getting one podcast out regularly, how are you going to do two podcasts? Well, the thing about Time Streams is I'm not trying to do it on a weekly basis at all. It is basically me and my friend Juliet. We are going to watch through all of Doctor Who from the beginning, which is something that I have done multiple times. Juliet has not. She is a fan that's come to it from the new series. So we're going to kind of go through together and she is going to uh, help me appreciate the new series as I help her appreciate the classic Doctor Who series. So I think that's going to be a lot of fun. We've already recorded our first episode as of the time of me recording this. We had a blast. So I think that that should be a really you know fun and exciting thing to do so check that out um and it should be available in all the same places where you find the 42 cast um and yeah i'll keep you posted on that as i keep going so now we come to the end of our podcast join us back next week when alexander smith and jeffrey Dam will be joining us. Yes, I am doing another interview segment and I am actually going to speak with the guys who run the They Create Worlds podcast. That's because that's a podcast that I absolutely love talking about video game history and since it's a subject that I'm really interested in but I don't have a lot of people in my circle of panelists that do this show that are interested in that topic, I thought I would have them on to talk about it. Uh, Alex will 
also talk about his book, which is also called They Create Worlds, uh, which is going to be a three-volume series about the history of video games. So if that's something that gets you excited or something you want to listen to, come back next week, listen to that. But until then, this is Nathan signing off. You have been listening to the 42Cast, copyright 2020. Got a question for the ultimate answer? Contact us at everything at 42Cast.com. Theme music is Sharper Swords by Brandon Ellis. Check out more of his work at www.cityfires.com. The 42Cast is a proud member of the ESO Network. has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Public store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.